Finding your way to a balanced way of living is the key to health and happiness. Each week on Choosing the Balanced Life with Diabetes, you'll hear tips and tools for a happier and healthier life. Here's your host, Anita Westlake. Did you know that a lot of chronic diseases can be reversed, uh, greatly improved, and and symptoms greatly, greatly reduced just through our diets and our lifestyles? And here to discuss that with me today is my guest, Dr. Arthur Kapperold, and he will discuss how he's helped people um, with many of their health conditions, reversing it all through diet. Thanks for joining me today, Art. You're entirely welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, this is a huge topic, food, and uh, what we're eating Beyond exercise, I think food is one of the most important issues when it comes to our health, chronic disease, all kinds of illnesses beyond chronic disease. But that list of chronic disease is growing every single time I read on it. Every single time I go to do any research on chronic disease, I feel that the list just gets longer and longer. And it, all these, what they deem to be conditions are being moved over to chronic disease. And a lot of it just seems to, um, equate to what we're eating, our lifestyles. And beyond our, our, our lifestyles and exercise, the biggest issue is food. Absolutely. I mean, I, I see it every day. If, if, uh, in, in the patients that I work with, uh, that is, that is a requirement for us to work together because if they're not willing to shift their diet to the recommendations that we come up with together, there's no way that they're going to move into a state of health. There's just no way. So those are people that, in, in your practice, those are people that are really willing to take charge, that, you know, that's it. I, I don't want to live like this anymore. I want to make some changes, and I'm on board, and they make a commitment with you. Absolutely. I mean, uh, the usually what happens is they'll be referred by somebody or they'll hear me talk or speak or lecture somewhere, and uh, they'll say, you know, I'm just really done with feeling this way all the time. And, you know, I want to have a better quality of life. And that's actually what it comes down to for me is that there's a lot of pain and suffering that goes along with these chronic diseases. And the quality of life really goes down, down, downhill. And so by enabling people to understand what it takes to create health and to have health, their quality of life goes way up, which is very gratifying for me. So that's that's one of the major reasons why I do this work. And that's wonderful. I, I'm really grateful that there's people like you that are really trying to support healthy lifestyles and quality of life because stats show that there's 50 million Americans living with autoimmune disorders. A lot of them are, are aging, which um, you and I briefly discussed, discussed, and we'll touch on that briefly because really we could do a whole show, which you know you've inspired me to do that. Um, just on autoimmune diseases, period. So 50 million Americans with autoimmune, and that number is growing all the time. 29.1 million are living with type 2 diabetes alone. I- I'm sorry, that's incorrect. 29.1 million are living with diabetes, and just over a million are type 1. So type 1 notoriously is in younger people, although that number is growing and changing all the time. 
Um, but nevertheless, that's a definite autoimmune. They're trying to say that uh, type 2 is becoming an autoimmune for various reasons, and there is a whole slew of reasons why you have type 2 diabetes. But obesity with these staggering numbers are, is definitely uh, a major cause of type 2 diabetes. And then from there, we can really go through a whole list, uh, cardiovascular disease, kidney, um, pain syndrome, <laughs> you know, uh, carpal tunnel, arthritis, lupus, asthma, and they all say, well, you're a diabetic, so therefore you have these things. But is it really, and that's a big topic uh, today, is it really the diabetes or is it just the lifestyle? Can we not turn some of these things around and um, reverse them, keep them at bay, improve the symptoms, greatly reduce our risks of developing them? All through our diet. And I hate the word diet, but it's necessary at the moment. Yes, it, um, we like to call it a food plan because diet does have a negative connotation to it that there, somebody's being restricted or somebody is having to eat a way that is, has, has a negative meaning to it. And so diet and lifestyle in itself, um, you know, we can use the word diet, but you know, it's not meant to be a negative thing. So yes, I mean, all the things that you talked about, I have found, um, I, I have seen people reverse those, those health problems. Uh, now I don't claim to cure any disease. I, that's not in, in the business that I'm in. I'm in the business of creating health and helping people to get healthy. And so, uh, most of the things that you talked about, unfortunately, are self-induced. And it's because of the lifestyle that we live, the way that we have been brought up to eat, uh, the way that we've been told is healthy versus unhealthy. Um, and, you know, we'll touch about that, you know, a little bit later in the show, I'm sure. But once people understand what it truly takes to become healthy and, and they're, they're tired enough of having their health problem or health concern, then they're willing to move forward in a direction in order to do the things to create health. And it's, to me, it's not rocket science, but I've been doing it for 23 plus years. Um, for a lot of people, there's, there's a lot of ingrained habits that need to be redirected. And that is part of what my job is, is, is a, is a coach and a team player to move them from where they are to where they want to go. And we, we spoke a little bit earlier and you know I use the example of my my wife when we first met each other years ago her family owned a restaurant and we would go to sit down and eat and they would bring a basket of bread and everybody's hand just automatically went into the basket except mine obviously and my wife knew that she wasn't supposed to eat those foods cuz she they didn't make her feel good and created some problems and we looked at each other and she, oh my gosh, it's just, it's a habit. It comes and you're so used to reaching your hand in there to grab it that you grab it. And so having awareness around what you're doing as far as putting foods in your mouth is the first step in order to make that shift. You know, if you don't have any awareness around it, then, then it's not going to happen. No, you're just, oh. you're just going along with the flow and these habits. It's just so easy to fall back in them too, even when you try to change them. 
And, and having said that, I really want to say to listeners that, um, some of these approaches, um, can be very overwhelming and may seem, um, unattainable because we want to enjoy ourselves. We want to enjoy food. We want to enjoy our holidays, vacations, um, entertaining. We want to enjoy all of it, but there's other things that you can do in and taking steps to come to this point. And in previous ep- episodes, there's some marvelous people that I've interviewed, and they have cookbooks, and they show us healthier ways to have our favorites and to make shifts. And we all have to start somewhere. So realize where you're at, what you're willing to do to make a shift in the right direction. And if you're not willing to cut certain things out and you don't want to dig a little deeper, then start with just making things in a healthier way. Or never mind, start cooking, making your own dishes, understanding what goes into something and realizing, wow, you know, traditionally this has a lot of fat, but I can really cut this out of my diet. There are so many steps that we can take. And as you said, Art, it's really a level of commitment. Yours, um, far greater than, than others, but it's really where somebody's at and, you know, meeting them there and getting them started on, you know, the, the better way of living, the healthier way of living. So when sharing that, when I was first diagnosed as a child, I, I didn't really, I did and I didn't have a lot of power. I mean, as children, you know, food's made available to you. Your parents, uh, more often than not, are creating, you know, the dish, the meals. And so I, I didn't have a lot of power other than when I was outside of the home and I was visiting people or, you know, later on with school friends and, and things that they did afterwards if they all went for pizza and it was later in the evening or you have sleepovers. Those are things that your parents have difficulty controlling, if at all. And now it's up to the child to be empowered with information and understanding, you know, the do's and the don'ts. And that's living with type 1 diabetes um, because I was a child. Now, the diets were um, somewhat daunting. They were strict. They could be very difficult. The whole protocol was very difficult. But, you know, at that time, you had choices through food groups. So you had a protein. You had uh, what they called a starch, and, and it was bread, rice, potatoes. You had a vegetable A and B, and they were classified by the amount of sugar each vegetable had. So some vegetables are higher than sugars than other. Then we had fruit. Then we had milk. Then we had fat. And the dairy was yogurt and ice cream. And, of course, fat was butter and oils and things like that. Now, we learned to deal with that. We were forced to learn to deal with that. Our parents were educated on that. They were quite strict. You were on a calorie count. You ate certain times of day. And you only took one dose of insulin per day with a glass syringe. You measured your blood sugars through test tubes and pills. And um, it was all very difficult. And it was hard. But You did it. You were forced to do it. You didn't have much of a choice, and you did it. But I have to tell you, in the diet, that gave me such um, a strong base and has led me to where I am now because I knew that certain vegetables had more sugar in them than others. I knew after a while, that, and as they, they did more research and shared with us living with diabetes, that a half an apple could equate to a piece of bread. And you started to see how these things affected your sugar and how they were interchangeable, really breaking it down to sugar in the body. And then wiser choices of sugar versus less wise choices of sugar. And all of that was such a great foundation. Now, 
with people that are diagnosed with diabetes, whether, you know, it's borderline type one, type two, they talk about carbs and carbs are sugar and they've kind of skipped all these stepping stones and they're just told sugar's bad and, you know, let's count carbs, manage it, lose weight. And it really can be daunting. Do you not find that there's really um, a lot of, um, how can I put it? They don't have a lot of education on sources of sugar. They just think, I can't eat sugar. Rather than realizing the food groups and how they can affect your body and your weight gain. You're absolutely right. And and one of the problems, I mean, it's, it's, it's two-sided. So one of the problems now is that the Internet is available. And so they can go online and they can read things that are posted and they may be accurate or they may be inaccurate. And so they're making choices not based off of the way you did it, which is trial and error and being taught by somebody that really knows what they're doing um, and, and looking to find out what the best solution is. Most people are just going in and reading and saying, well, I can do this or I can do that and it'll be okay. Um, it's really important that they have what I like to call the right roadmap because I, I meet a lot of patients and a lot of people that are doing really well on what they're supposed to be doing, but unfortunately they're doing the wrong thing for them because, you know, we're all individuals. And so they have to determine what the correct thing for them to move them along is as opposed to just doing this blanket effect. And so there are people that are very committed and doing an extremely good job at what they're supposed to be doing. They're just following the wrong path, you know, which is hard because then it means they put all this effort in and they're not getting, maybe they're putting a hundred percent effort in and they're only getting maybe set 50, 60% results where they should be getting much higher results. And if they just make some little shifts in how they're doing things, and they start to see a bigger change. And, and that is what happens. I think a lot of people get discouraged and they're really, uh, they're so close to success or greater success Absolutely. because even at 50%, that's a success. Anything that's going to move you forward, I, I'm saying embrace it because it, again, it's a stepping stone. But if you're not getting as much success as you want, go beyond it. Don't fall back. Don't give up. Go beyond because we really have a lot of control over our health. We don't have to accept it. We have a lot of control over health. And so often I see roadblocks coming up and people actually wanting it, but finding some incredible excuses not to do it. And I'm sure you come across that all the time. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things that I'm always looking for when I'm consulting with patients is bottlenecks or roadblocks. Because I want to get those taken care of immediately. You know, the typical example, maybe I've got a patient, a patient X that, uh, has a specific health problem, but they travel all the time. They're always on the road. They're always having to eat at different locations. Maybe they're having to eat in airports. So, you know, we sit down and we spend some time talking about how this can be accomplished. Cause I, I, I travel and I can do it, you know, so I know it can be done. It's just that they have to know how to do that. And so taking the time to explain to people those things is critical. Then follow-up conversations, you can check to see how they're, they're doing on all their responsibilities, you know. 
how are you doing on, you know, travels when you're going out and eating different types of foods? Are you doing okay? Is there any problems? Is there anything that we have to work on more? And so having that ability to get those roadblocks out of the way is critical because there's no, I'm, I'm going to be, generalize this statement here, but what I've seen is there's very, very few roadblocks that are impassable. Most roadblocks, there's always a way to get around it. You just have to figure out a solution to it. And it's very doable. Even when it comes to someone who is already living with diabetes and has to lose weight. So they're, they're using a combination of reducing their food. Uh, perhaps their medication is now following suit and they're upping their activity in whatever way. It could be as simple as walking. Even if they're not quite at the stage of upping their activity, nevertheless, there's always issues to deal with such as low blood sugars. And even people without uh, being do- diagnosed with diabetes that are on weight loss programs can feel lightheaded, will have symptoms. And I think this is um, something that you have to have a plan. If this happens, don't blow your weight management uh, plan. In other words, let's talk about some strategies that will able, enable you to care, to move forward and get through these stumbling blocks and have a plan. Absolutely. Really talk to somebody and empower yourself and have a plan. And don't just say, well, I can't deal with this. It's too scary or it's too hard and give up. And again, it really depends on where a person's at. There's some uh, marvelous, and I'm so happy to see this, some marvelous chefs and recipe developers that are, are really helping people try to move towards cooking in a healthier way and not feeling that they're giving up their treats. And maybe that's where someone's at, and that's fine because, again, it's moving you forward. It's success. So nobody's, you know, saying that uh, diets or, or a meal plan has to be uh, so restricting that it's boring, that it's scary, that it doesn't allow you to enjoy food. Um, you know, it's all about taking from time to time baby steps. And if you've taken enough baby steps where you're fed up and you really want to take charge and come to someone like yourself, wonderful. Because I'm in this reading, I see where you help people identify allergens that they and intolerances that they may not be aware of that could be causing them additional health problems. Absolutely. I mean, and I use myself as an example because as a young child, my my family thought it was important to drink a lot of milk. And, you know, we drank pasteurized milk, which, you know, is first not a very good thing. But my brother and sister, I would drink 11 gallons of milk a week. And I had chronic sinusitis. That's uh, staggering, actually. I had, oh, yeah. I had tubes in my ears. I had my adenoids and tonsils taken out. And as soon as I got into chiropractic school and understood this concept, I stopped all dairy products and all of my sinus problems disappeared. All of my allergies disappeared. And so living, I live in the Sierra Nevada mountains just below Yosemite National Park, and there's a lot of pollen in the air in the spring. And I used to get a lot of people coming in with allergy problems. And I use this simple equation or this, a simple example. So if you have a bucket of water and you fill it halfway up with water and say the bucket holds five gallons of water, so you still have two and a half gallons of water that you can put into that bucket. 
But if you fill that bucket all the way to the very top with five gallons where you put maybe another cup of water in there, it starts to overflow. That is the same way your allergens are. So if you're eating foods that your body is consistently having a negative reaction to, your histamine response within the body is already high. And so it's so high, it can be subclinical. Maybe it's just below the threshold, or maybe it's above the threshold. You don't know, but let's just say it's subclinical and below the threshold. So you're eating foods that you're sensitive to that is causing this reaction, but you're not really having a reaction. And then all of a sudden, the pollen breaks out in the air. And then you're breathing this in, and it's just enough to throw that histamine reaction into a sympathetic state. And so now you're starting to get those those symptoms from that. So just by reducing your intake of those chronically allergen foods, milk and dairy are a big one, wheat and gluten are a big one, um, you will have a reduction in the histamine response. Over It'll take a couple weeks for that to occur. And then the allergens won't bother you as much. Now, you may have a little bit of itching, and but it's not going to be that full-blown allergen situation that you always get in the spring. And I've seen it happen time and time again. So you're really, through, through what you're eating, you're helping your body Absolutely. cope to its environment and to better deal with these environmental issues. Exactly. So, you it, know, you're, again, you're not curing everything, but you're making it a lot easier on, on a person. Absolutely. See, the... The liver cleans that blood and cleans all that stuff out of the system. And what happens is when there's so much being dumped into the system, the liver can't keep up with that cleansing process and it just starts to back up. And so by by reducing the load that the liver has to work and clean up on, it can handle those external irritations much easier, much, much easier. See, that's and that's so well put. So, for instance, and this is a biggie with me, um, diabetes, uh, really, they, they they say that people living with diabetes are on just a laundry list of risks. And, again, it comes down to your total um, health. So, in other words, um, a lot of people say, aren't you in fear of, um, you know, cardiovascular issues? Aren't you in fear that you're going to develop kidney issues? Aren't you in fear, Anita, of all these things? Well, you know, for ver- for an obvious reason, I'm type 1 diabetic as a child. So that puts me in a different category, a little more daunting for doctors um, to find a cure for in some cases than type 2 with, you know, diet and lifestyle. But nevertheless, I, as even as a very young person, I was able to say to myself, if I take care of myself, if I take care of myself, why am I at risk of all these other things? And I really had the support of some wonderful doctors, visionaries, I'm going to call them, that really um, embraced that with me and said, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. You doesn't mean that you're in risk of everything. It's because you are already in a state where you must take care of yourself. And hopefully in taking care of yourself, you've now reduced all those risks to maybe somewhat more of a normal state and lifestyle and what you eat is such, has such a big impact on that. So you've already got diabetes. There's already something wrong, especially in the case of type 2, and the numbers are greater for these side effects. And 
it only stands to reason that you will have some of these other issues. But really peel it back. It's not just because you're diabetic. So diabetes didn't equal, oh, automatically you're going to have heart disease. No, you have diabetes for what reasons? And beyond what reasons, how are you managing it, taking care of yourself? And what steps are you doing to support your health? That's what causes these other things. Absolutely. I, you know, again, I, I may have mentioned this, but I view all these things as symptoms of of what's going wrong as far as imbalance in the body. And so um, for for somebody to say that X causes Y or Y causes Z, there can be a multitude of reasons why those things occur. But you have to have a level playing field with a good diet and lifestyle. Um if a patient comes into me and wants to work on a specific health concern and only wants to take nutritional supplements, there's nothing I can do because I can't guarantee that I'm going to get really, really good results because they haven't changed what they're putting in their mouth on a daily basis. And I've had many patients just by changing their diet and lifestyle have had phenomenal results because what they're doing to themselves on a daily basis with the amount of food is perpetuating the problem. And so I can, I completely agree with you that just because you have a specific illness doesn't mean you're going to get more if you're able to change some of the factors that are facilitating that problem. And you can, you know, at, at minimum, uh, by having a healthy uh, lifestyle and, um, and having what you eat in a better state and what, and being aware of what you're putting in your mouth, you can really reduce all these things, really, really reduce all these things. It was, um, it really brought it home a few years ago. Uh, I was at a get together with people I hadn't seen in a very, very long time. And, you know, let's say 20 years had passed and as everyone's there, they, they all know, know that I'm a type 1 diabetic. And they're, oh, Anita, you look great. Well, thank you, thank you. And we all start talking. And I have to tell you, I was one of the healthiest people there. Not that I'm not healthy, but I'm just, I was the only right. diabetic. And I was the only diabetic. And yet, you know, I had thyroid issues. And then it led to cancer. And, and somebody else had had a heart attack. And I thought, wow, too young to have a heart attack. But nevertheless, that doesn't mean anything anymore. It's incredible what, what we can do to our bodies uh, and what can happen to our health. And we take a lot of that for granted. So that really said something that spoke to me. And I thought, you know, uh, it empowered me even more to keep, you know, to keep on the way I am. Because it's so easy, you know, people always want to talk about the negative. They don't want to talk about the positive, And that's why I keep my show positive and moving people towards success. Because we'll follow an ambulance and film that, but not a celebration of a birth or a wedding or something just so spectacular. It gets a little snippet, but the disaster, and rightly so in some cases, though, but it gets all the attention. And we want to talk about it. And so not that these things aren't important to discuss and what could happen, but I found in a lot of cases, and especially with um, chronic disease and diabetes, that 
As a person um, is diagnosed and they hopefully go through a diabetic management program, they tell you about all the things that you have to do with food and all the wonderful tools that we now have, and I'm thankful for them, in managing ourselves through blood testing and ways of giving medication if you need insulin or choices of pills, and hopefully you don't have to take medication, but nevertheless, they go through all this. And then at the end, they tell you, as you leave, and now you've been inspired and taught, and you're overwhelmed about all these, your new reality and all these things that you have to change, they tell you about all these horrible things that can happen to you. And it makes some people um, fueled by fear, and they're out there, and they're, at the beginning, they're very committed, and they get depressed, and they fall off because it is not an easy thing to get in check overnight. It's a journey. And as individuals, we have to see what works for us and how it affects us. So now they think every bad blood sugar, everything they put in their mouth, they're afraid of. They're absolutely terrified. Or some just say, to heck with it, I give up. Like, <laughs> my days are numbered. And it's so sad right. because we have so much power. And I'm going to repeat this again. We have the power. We really have resources, and a lot of it's just food and lifestyle. And someone like yourself that goes a step beyond, for those that are ready for it, is a wonderful thing. And really, in, in layering and, and pulling back what causes some of our issues for instance, when you're talking about intolerances and allergies, I went through a period of time that my sugars were really hard to manage. And when I ate, uh, I went through long periods of time where I was incredibly ill and I would be vomiting and my sugars would be all over the map. And yet I was eating far more vegetables and soups and um, really making the effort. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. And it was extremely frustrated, frustrating. And I met with a doctor that my mother had seen, well, met by phone, a doctor my mother had seen in California because she was developing a lot of allergies. Canadian, she moved to San Francisco, a different climate, and her and her husband were having a lot of issues with allergies. And in talking with this doctor on the phone, he asked me to cut certain things out of my diet, which I did. I mean, I was almost down to porridge, to be quite frank. And um, he asked me, you know, what did you normally eat? Make a diary, go back to it, look at trigger points when you get sick. You have to go through the process. It was not fun, and I did get ill all over again once I started doing this. But I identified I had an allergy or intolerance to cumin. It's a spice, mm -hmm. something that's very difficult to detect. And my world changed. I could eat again. Um, I wasn't vomiting after, you know, vegetable soups because cumin's delicious and I'm actually drawn to it, which is uh, not a good thing. But being aware that I had this allergy, I thought it was all, and so did some doctors, family doctors of mine, think that it was all to do with diabetes. Right away, you're a diabetic, you're having issues. Oh, we got to send you for massive tests. Um, you know, there's something wrong. <laughs> and that was depressing right. within itself and nothing was working. And here it boiled down to an allergy slash, we'll call it intolerance, whatever label, I cut it out of my diet and my world changed. Absolutely. It could be something that, that subtle and that simple. You're absolutely right. And, but, and you know, I, I mean, appreciate all the tests. I'm glad that they were trying to help me. But sometimes, again, we're not looking at our diet. We're chasing symptoms and at labeling it with diseases and going straight to medication. And in case of diabetes, we have to get these things under control. Absolutely. You have to have a foundation 
We have to maintain our health. But there is a very good example on how something that was an allergy created a whole issue for me that, again, it went right back to, well, you're diabetic. What do you expect? Oh, it's diabetic-related. Oh, because you're diabetic, now you've got this. And it wasn't that at all. You know, absolutely. It's... it's um And... I, I view those type of foods as stressors to the body. And so any stressor can cause your, your blood sugar to go up. And so, I mean, I, I was sharing with you earlier about the, the patient that I had that he was diabetic and you know, we got his blood sugars back into the normal range. And then all of a sudden every spring, his blood sugar would go up in the morning and we couldn't figure out what was going on. It would be really high when he would wake up. And, you know, we use wood-burning stoves up here, and just the, the stressor from the wood smoke and the, the dirt and the stuff you know, within his heating ducts that he would turn on in the spring was enough to cause a histamine or allergic reaction that was causing his blood sugars to go up. And so just by noticing that, you know, we were able to make better choices around that and not be, oh, well, you know, he's just heading downhill because there was an actual cause. So you, you are very, very good at always looking at what can the cause be and teaching people that because that is a huge win for all of your listeners. I mean, people just don't do that. We don't. And, and the thing is, what we, we're not appreciating, and, and in saying this, understand that um, for my listeners, I am not saying that pharmaceutical companies are evil. I am not saying the doctors don't get it. I'm not saying anything. You know, your family doctor, you have to keep them in the loop. Your endocrinologist, if you see one for diabetes, uh, so vastly important. And in the case of pharmaceuticals, they're needed. There are things that we need in medication to keep ourselves healthy as a support. But we can go beyond that in many, 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 many cases. And I think we've become just passive and accepting that. And we can really support our doctors by doing the right thing, by taking control of our health. It's almost like a lot of people expect doctors to be these miracle workers um, in, conjunction, in conjunction with pharmaceuticals, and we're accepting that when they really can only do so much. We have to do the work, too. They're not babysitters. And it sounds like I'm being really brutal um, but in a, in some ways, I'm not being brutal. I'm trying to wake people up. They don't have a magic wand. Doctors don't have a magic wand. And my own endocrinologist, uh, when I, you know, as when I became an adult, I had another endocrinologist because I graduated from a hospital that dealt with children, um, sick kids hospital. And I, they helped me find an endocrinologist that I would be comfortable with. And by the way, that is so vastly important. And in dealing with her, she would tell me all the time from the age of 18, Anita, you know your own body better than I do. I am here to help you with the knowledge that I have on diabetes. But every time you come in and you take a look at your own body and what's happening with you and you do your due diligence and you test and you look at patterns, you are educating me. Wow. I cannot tell you the power that gave me. She's a smart lady. Really? Well, and she is known globally. <laughs> Her name is Ann Kenschel. She's retired yeah. now, but uh, a real guru in moving diabetes forward. And that really empowered me. She said, you know, you know 
You're, you're doing what you need to do. I wasn't perfect. Oh boy, was I not perfect. But those stumbling blocks, she said, never, it's never too late. Don't let that stop you. We all have life happen. Life happens. But what are you going to do about it when you fall off the wagon as so to speak, when you're not testing as much as you should, what are you going to do about it? Cause I can't do anything about it. I can preach to you. You can avoid me. You can not go to the doctors, but what are you going to do about it? How are you going to manage your life through what you're eating, uh, testing, what works for you? Because what works for me may be slightly different than what works for someone else, but we all together have the same objective first to keep our sugars manageable as a diabetic, but as human beings, whether you're a diabetic, whether you are uh, celiac, whether you have asthma, whether you have lupus, whether you have arthritis, our objective is to have quality of life and be healthy. So we're all the same. It's what are we going to do about it and how are we going to take control and what success do you want to achieve on a personal level? And there's my rant. <laughs> no, <laughs> but it's so no, I, true. I completely agree. And, you know, getting, getting people just to see those things, that's a huge step in the right direction. Well, that alone, because, we don't have to recreate the wheel. You don't have to be perfect. Let's no. just, let's just get in the game. You know, but use, see, the thing is, is using those things, or I don't want to say failure because it's not a failure, but those things that, that happen that maybe don't go quite the right way, use that as a lesson. Okay, well, then I'm not going to do that this time, or I'm not going to do that in the future because it does this. You have to actually use those things to guide yourself in how you want to take care of yourself in the future. You know, I mean, I'm I'm always doing that with people with food because once, you know, if you go back to the allergy situation, I wouldn't have known that milk and dairy products were the culprit of my sinus problems if I hadn't stopped them altogether and then reintroduced them to see how I feel. And so just because you do those things, it doesn't mean that you're failing. It's, it's information for you to use to move forward, just like you said. And so not beating yourself up is really critical. And the, the issue with a, a doctor that supports you in that way, that's a huge win for you. Because a lot of docs are just going to sit and beat you up over what you're not doing that you should be doing or what you're doing that you shouldn't be doing. And it's just, you know, that, that whole positive aspect that you're talking about is really critical in a patient moving forward and a person moving forward. And it's support. It's that it's remembering that people should remember it's a relationship that between your health care provider, your doctor, your endocrinologist, a nurse, um, even your pharmacist, really, they're health care providers and um, you, you're sharing with them. They're learning from you and you are learning from them. And there's a lot of times where I, I talk to uh, diabetics that um, and I'm astounded, but they're, they've found out through their family doctor, they do not go to an endocrinologist. They did not go to any management courses because they were just terrified. And the family doctor doing the best they can said, okay, take the medication and watch your diet. And as you said, they went on the internet, they're out there floating around. Um, and I just met someone. I just met someone who just told me this story and you should have seen the terror on her face. And so when I said, 
she, uh, in talking with someone, she had learned that I was uh, a diabetic and we were at a cooking, actually a cooking class. And they were telling us how to sharpen knives and um, how to do different things. And it was at a company, I'm sure that a lot of Americans and Canadians know this, but it was called Williams-Sonoma. Great place. And on a Sunday, you can go and they give these great tips on cooking. And, and I always go. Or more often than not, I go in the morning and, um, and I always critique things when I can. Can I make that with almond milk? Can I take that out? And what will it do, um, to the recipe if I make it healthier? Because again, I'm, I take a recipe and I'm always trying to approve on it or I just don't make it. And so, um, they asked me, Oh, and why do you want to do that? I said, Well, you know, I work with diabetics and uh, I am a diabetic. And so this woman beelines for me immediately and I hear the story and she's lost. She's lost and she's scared and she says, my family doctor knows nothing about diets and nutrition and I don't know what to do. Well, first of all, there you go. Your doctor is trying to help you, but you can't go to the doctor and, spe- and ins- really uh, expect them to be your miracle worker and say, well, now I'm going to tell you all about nutrition and now I'm going to do all that. If some doctors are able to, a lot of them are overworked or it's just not uh, they don't have time. They they haven't taken um, education on this, and so we really do. I feel put a lot of pressure on them to um, kind of just clean us up, make it all better, rather than understand the power that we have. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean, you you have you know I'm using you as you know people in general, but people have the ability to completely shift and place less responsibility on other people. And what I've found is that when when people just begin to understand that they can shift how they feel through what they eat, it bleeds over into many, many, many aspects of their life. Um, just knowing that, hey, I can take responsibility for this and I can choose to feel good about how... I can choose to feel good in how I feel by what I'm eating. That's a big deal. It's a huge deal. So, uh, yeah, that, that empowerment starts the whole, whole process of, of moving forward in other areas as well. Along with now, again, I'm sharing, but it's really personal experience means so much. And I had, uh, I, I was dealing with some, uh, blood, blood pressure issues and they weren't, great. They were high on the high side. And so, you know, they gave me some medication and that again is vital. I had to make sure that my blood pressure was in check because blood pressure, and I'm letting listeners know, is um, so vital to keep on top of. It puts strain on the eyes, the kidneys, especially when you're living with diabetes, you need all this added stress along with other health conditions that you have. Absolutely not. None of us need it. But again, you've already got something that encompasses and affects the entire body. So we've got to keep on top of it. So I did take the medication. Great. Wasn't happy about it. Um, because I hate to have the obligation again of taking another medication other than insulin and, you know, taking it a certain time, making sure I always had it. It was like a tolerance around my neck. Never mind that I was so worried about this blood pressure and where it was coming from. Well, I am proud to tell you that I take absolutely no blood pressure medication whatsoever. And in fact, my blood pressure is more than excellent. And my family doctor was astounded by this. So from time to time, he'd say, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. 
but he was really yeah, that's pretty- <laughs> right. That's what he says, and and you know, great. That's what they say. That's what they said. I don't know what you're doing, Anita, but just keep doing it. And of course, I did. And I do check my blood pressure. I go into a, you know, a pharmacy and I'll check it. I, I haven't bought my own kit yet because you know I I just haven't gone to that expense, and it's been great. Now and again, you know, I've looked for little signs. Should I check it? Am I at risk? Before I went on the trip that I recently went on to Iceland, I checked my blood pressure. It was fine. I checked it when I got back. It was fine. Um, so you can do it. Now, he didn't know how it happened. In fact, he was really just, why, Anita? Why? What are we doing? Keep doing it. But why? Well, you know what? I need to know the why. Again, I am sharing with him and I am giving him something. So now he's going to share it with other patients. Well, I had a patient with diabetes that actually got her blood pressure back under control. It's at an excellent rate now. And here's something she did. So who's supporting who? That shows you the power mm-hmm. that we have and how we're also supporting doctors by just taking control of our health and making wiser decisions. Absolutely. So when talking about this empowerment and ways that we can change and sharing all these, uh, you know, situations, what is it that you do? What is a process that you start right from the get-go when somebody comes in and they're having health issues and you're helping them with their diet? Because diet's key, obviously. So, it is, yes. Yeah. So initially what we do is we'll, we'll sit down and have a phone consultation um, to determine exactly what's going on uh, and come up with some some health goals that that patient wants to achieve. And then I, I, I create a plan depending on what their specific needs are. Uh, but when we start the process of them actually working on their health, they make uh, specific dietary changes for between two to four weeks depending on what's going on with that patient. And uh, I remove all refined foods out of their diet, so all uh, starches except for brown rice at night. And the reason is is because starches can lead to blood sugar cravings, and I'm trying to get a patient not to have any sugar cravings. And so uh, we'll, we'll pull out all starches out of their diet. Uh, we add in as many green leafy vegetables and as, and as many low-carbohydrate vegetables as, as they can eat for, for lunch and dinner, um, moderate amounts of protein, uh, and good fat to be able to stabilize the blood sugar. Uh, the first thing that comes up usually is, well, what am I going to eat for breakfast? And I say, well, so I'd like you to have an egg, and I'd like you to have... Uh, maybe some good, clean protein. Maybe it's uh, bacon with no nitrites or, or nitrates in it, or maybe some sausage that's the same way. You can even have uh, a hamburger patty or maybe a piece of steak from the night before. Or Some people even do fish or spinach with their eggs. There can be many, many things you can do, but I'd like you to have um, a good protein and a good uh, healthy fat to stabilize that blood sugar so you don't have that cravings with that blood sugar spike throughout the day. And then if they want, uh, say, a snack, they can have uh, raw nuts, raw cashews, raw almonds, if if they don't have a sensitivity to those type of foods. Um, And then I want them to drink water. Uh, I really try to stay away from 
coffee initially just because that can tend to, for some people, cause a blood sugar reaction, either positive or negative. Um, tea, sometimes I will do tea, but most people won't drink tea unless it's sweetened. Um, and I also tell them to stay away from all artificial sweeteners and anything that tastes sweet. So even stevia or stevia, depending on how you want to pronounce it, um, because that can create a sugar craving just from, you know, what, what I call cellular memory. I don't, I haven't researched this, but I've found that the patient even eating something sweet, if it doesn't necessarily affect blood sugar physically, will still have some type of reaction within the body. So I want all those sugar cravings to disappear. In other words, their cravings are being fed, is what you're saying? I'm sorry, can you please repeat that? In other words, by adding in these artificial sweeteners, they're not really getting rid of their craving and need for sugar. Correct, correct, because they're they're still supplying that, that taste that they need. And I... I'm looking, my goal is to get them feeling as good as they can, as quick as I can. And so um, some patients in two days, all of a sudden, oh, man, all my, my joint pain's gone, my upset stomach is gone, my headaches are gone. Some patients take a little longer, maybe two or three weeks. But I want them feeling very, very good. And then what we do is we'll pick together. I don't want them doing this on this, you know, on their own, but we'll pick a specific food or food group. And many people usually pick wheat because it's one of the things that they like to eat every meal every day. And we'll add that food back in, breakfast, lunch, and dinner the next day. And then we talk the day after that. And nine times out of ten, that person's going to say, God, I feel like I've been hit by a truck or all my pain came back or all my joint pain came back or all my stomach pain, you know, Whatever it is that they were in to see me for, they're just going to feel horrible regardless of whether it's a cardiovascular issue or diabetes or bowel problems or, you know, whatever. And so getting them to see that, wow, these foods are what's making me feel this way, then they can start to have a choice. Well, do I want to eat that food or do I want to feel good? And people are going to test it. They'll go away. They'll be good on their diet, and all of a sudden, two, three months down the road, they come in and they start to say, you know, Doc, I'm not feeling as good as I used to. I'm, I'm more fatigued, my pain's coming back, and I have them fill out a diet outline. And sure enough, they're starting to introduce some of those foods back in. You know, we talked about that habit thing. And so they have to develop a new habit on these are the foods that are causing me problems. And it doesn't mean that they won't be able to eat them in the future. I mean, I mentioned multiple times about my dairy sensitivity. It took me, I, I stayed away from all milk products for five years just to clean <laughs> my system of it. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't do it because every time I would eat it, I would have this, this sinus nose drain issue. And now I can go and I can have blue cheese on a salad or I can do, you know, I can go to Mexican food. And I can have a little bit of cheese on something and I won't have that reaction. However, if I do it two days in a row or three days in a row, I'm in big trouble. And so I allowed my body enough time to clean up to where I could handle small amounts of it. Now, I'll never be able to go back to how I used to do things because I've developed that problem against it. But 
by pulling those foods out and, and enabling the patient to feel better, then they can see this is a life without pain. This is a life without, you know, we talked about that, um, you know, a patient not feeling good and all the, all the laundry lists uh, of issues. The word I, yeah. I mean, but you know, that the, the whole pain and discomfort thing that they, and, and not really enjoying the quality of life that they have because they have something going on as far as pain that's limiting them from doing something. And so that empowers the patient enough to say, okay, I have the choice to be able to do this or not do this. And, you know, we spoke in the past once, some patients think that, well, that means I can never do it again. And I say, no, there's 365 days in a year. And if you're good, 340 of those days, that means you still have time for holidays and birthdays and, you know, special occasions. That's traveling, okay. traveling. Uh, exact, exactly. But a vast majority of your time has to be always moving in the right direction so you can enjoy those other issues, you know, without being totally, um, I don't even want to say the word incapacitated, but many people feel like they've been hit with a truck and it, it really stops their life for a second, you know, until they realize, oh, okay, I can, I can continue to move forward. So and, that's, that's, you know, basically how I do it in a nutshell. And so it's really identifying what's causing them the issues, which is so very, very important. So you're doing it by uh, restricting them and then adding in to see what the, where their intolerances or issues lie with food. You know, absolutely. And, and it may be multiple issues, like, like you stated with the cumin earlier. Um, some people, maybe they can do a little bit of milk or a little bit of wheat products, small amounts. Maybe they can do it once every two weeks, a little bit in something that's homemade and it's not going to be an issue. But maybe if they mix milk and wheat in the same meal, maybe it's a huge issue. Or maybe if they add sugar to that, it's an issue. And so if those things don't cause any problems, then we continue to dig deeper. And you dig deeper. Okay, is it nightshade? Is it, um, you know, we have a lot of well water systems out here. Is it something in their well water? Is it, 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 it can be anything. And so you have to continually, you know, I have a little story that's kind of off topic, but I, I used to do a lot of muscle testing in my practice and I had a patient that had Crohn's disease and not a pleasant thing whatsoever. No. And we initially started this process, you know, I'm, I'm just sharing this, you know, about kind of being a detective and digging deeper. So, you know, we initially started the process, removed all the food. She did really well. And all of a sudden she backslid and she was back to where she was and she was eating very well. She was doing all the responsibilities that I asked her to do. And so I would have her come in every other day and I would test her. And I spent probably four or five days doing it. And one day I was muscle testing her and her arm started to get fatigued. And I looked at her watch and I said, it couldn't be that simple. And what it was is the battery in her watch was affecting specific reflexes in her body that was shutting off those areas of her gut. And so in further discussion with her, she had gotten that watch and wore it 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and she got it about a year before she developed Crohn's. 
And as soon as she took the watch off, within three or four days, her gut started to settle down and became normal again. That is incredible. What a story. That is incredible. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, you through investigation and elimination and um, looking really at ourselves as an individual, and you found this out. And it was that simple. You know, and, you know, so when, when people are sleeping on magnetic blankets or magnetic mattresses or they're wearing magnets on their body, I mean, you know, the body is an energetic thing. And so um, you and I have talked about you have to look at the cause, but just about anything can cause anything, I've, I've found. Well, you, I mean, I've seen some crazy things be caused by things that you would have no concept that it would cause that. And it just floors me every time I find it. You brought up an absolutely astounding find about parasites. And something that, you know, I just want to just say it out loud, um, just as, again, yes. empowering people with information. And a simple stool right. test identifies this. So go ahead. Yeah. So, yeah. So they, um, I was talking to a colleague this morning and we were talking about blood sugars and he was telling me that, uh, he has found that parasites, uh, in the body and, you know, there's, there's a pretty high incidence of parasites from pets and things in, in the population, you know, people traveling outside of, of our country into, you know, third world countries that don't have as good a hygiene, those type of things. Um, but he, he's found that parasites, they, their waste product that they release, uh, has proteins in it and the body can actually recognize that as a protein and cause an insulin response in trying to take care of that excess protein. And so you have to have those parasites gotten rid of and then support the pancreas nutritionally so it gets back online because otherwise it's going to be a very, very long struggle for those those blood sugars to get back to normal that the parasites have to be taken care of. And so, you know, uh, you can go to your doctor, you can get a stool test to see if you have parasites uh, and... You know, that, that may be one of the reasons why you have blood sugars that aren't able to stabilize out. All reasons when people get frustrated with bad blood sugars, it's, again, it could be diet, well, nine times out of ten, let's face it, it's diet, or when we say diet, peeling it back, coming down to allergens and tolerance, parasites. There could be a slew of reasons why you have uh, bad blood sugars, so we need to be or not in line. And we really have to do our due diligence and look beyond it rather than it's frustrating, but we can really um, take command and uh, take control of our health and look at these issues in order to have better health. And I would, exactly. I would really like to, and I know you're really restricted for time today. So I would really uh, like to tell the listeners that I'm going to have you back uh, next week, and we're going to just talk a little bit more because it was a lot of general generalization today, and really I wanted to empower my listeners about taking control of their health, about looking at what we're eating, about digging deeper, and um, not 
focusing just on the fact that, hey, I have diabetes. We have to to get our sugars under control, of course. That's our main objective. But there's many different things that we can do to support our health with diabetes and have success and manage our blood sugars and not be frustrated and not blame everything on diabetes, but rather that it's our overall health as a human being and focusing on our overall health and keeping quality of life. And so when you return, I'd like to talk about um, just some of the food groups and how they can really, um, and cutting them out can help you, such as dairy and the whole gluten wheat uh, craze at the moment. A lot of people just say gluten-free and think it's a fad, but why it's important, what it can do to the body, along with sugar levels, because whether you're a diabetic or not, Your sugar levels and insulin required, whether it's artificial or natural, how that really affects our craving and why it can put us on a roller coaster of either taking medication, more of it, and still having cravings or weight gain. Either or blood sugars are vital, whether you're a diabetic or not, to really keep in check. And I'd like to get into that a little bit more so people can really appreciate and understand that that, um, struggle and why it's important to keep it in check. That would be great. I'd be happy to do that with you. Well, thank you for joining me, um, and thank you for taking the time. And we look forward to having you back next week and discussing all these things and just kind of unpeeling it and adding a little more layers so people really grasp why I'm trying to encourage them, along with people like yourself, to take control and understand that they have choices and power and how much our diet greatly affects our health. Beyond weight far beyond weight. You can not have an eight, uh, a weight issue, but have all kinds of health issues just due to your diet alone. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I look forward to speaking with you next week, Art. So this was part one of a two-part interview with um, Dr. Art Caperold. Just some wonderful general information that I hope inspired and empowered you in understanding how our diet can greatly affect our health and how we can actually turn some things around for ourselves, lessen them, make better through our diet and the power that we really do have in doing so. If you'd like to have a look at Dr. Art's website, it's www.conceptsforhealth.com. So that's C-O-N-C-E-P-T-S-F-O-R. H-E-A-L-T-H dot com. Or you can send them a direct email at Dr. Art, that's D-R-A-R-T, at conceptsforhealth.com. Thank you for joining me today. Please join me next week when we will get into a little more information on choices of food, how, again, we can optimize our health through what we eat. If you'd like to send me an email, as always, to share... Um, ask any questions, please email me at anita at anitacoach.ca and follow me on Twitter at Anita Westlake.